Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to the Coffee Clad Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And this week we bring ourselves back online with episode 301, Parche Domine. Written and directed by Jonathan Nolan, IMDb is giving this an 8.7 and Rotten Tomatoes an 88%. If you're stuck in a loop, try walking in a straight line. I love that, which kind of reminds me of the maze again. It reminds me of uh, at our university, we have a labyrinth that we used to walk. Oh, we're going to talk about a labyrinth later, Jason. But first of all, how excited are you to be back with Westworld? Oh, I'm so excited. I forgot almost how good and how much I love this show. And especially now, it seems like they're going on a more linear-based storytelling. It's not as confusing, but there's still plenty to figure out. And we're outside. We're out of the park. How long have we been wanting to see this? Since season one, we've been discussing what does the outside look like? Now, unfortunately, we didn't have time to do a season three prepper cast. However, in listening back, we had a lot of good wrap-up information in our season two bonus. So if you're looking to catch yourself up before you listen to this podcast, you can go check that out, the season two bonus episode. And while we're at it, if you're new here, welcome. We are the CKC. We've been podcasting for almost six years now. And Westworld is one of the shows that we cover obviously. Just want to let you know that we will be coming out with weekly Westworld podcasts every Friday. This being because we cannot get to record until Thursday. We wish they could be earlier, but unfortunately this is the best we can do. Part of that is because we are still covering The Magicians, another one of our top shows. If you are interested in that, feel free to check it out. We're on our final Magician season. But all of this means we're not going to be the first word on Westworld. Hopefully we will be the last. Even though we're not going to be discussing season two, I just wanted to look back at a quote from Lisa Joy when she spoke about the themes of each season. She said, season one was an examination of consciousness and this emerging species beginning to hear their own voices. Season two was really about exercising their agency and autonomy. Out of that rises the issue of free will, not only of the host's self-determination, but also that of the humans, who is really programmable and who is the one with real agency. (laughs) I have a feeling we will be second-guessing ourselves often this season. Yeah, and those themes are sure to continue coming up. This means the third season takes place immediately after the events of last, with Dolores having escaped Westworld along with the cores or pearls of a few hosts. We know she's got herself, Bernard is out there, and there's someone inside of Hale's recreated body. That's going to be another big question. We have four to five pearls, depending on how you count them, Who will they be? Who is in whose recreated body? As we said, we're not going to get as twisty with the timelines, but there's definitely still theorizing to be done. But as far as plotline, we see that Dolores takes residence in Arnold's old home in Los Angeles at the end of last season. This time around, she will begin developing a relationship with Caleb and come to learn how artificial beings are being treated in the real world. As a result of the comments people had made regarding the complex narrative of season two, The showrunners, Nolan and Joy, have stated that season three would be a much more comprehensible storyline. Nolan said this season is a little less of a guessing game and more of an experience, with the hosts finally getting to meet their makers. Now, we know that there's only going to be eight episodes in this season. It's the shortest one so far. 
I don't know if that falls in line with the more straightforward storytelling they're speaking about, but they did pack an awful lot into episode one. We also know we're going to see some other new faces besides Caleb. We will talk about him. But the actors will include Vincent Castle. All we know is he's going to play a quote-unquote villain, Michael Ely and Tommy Flanagan. And from our after credits scene, now if you missed that, make sure you go back and watch. When the episode proper finishes, there is a short credit scene. And this shows Maeve in War World. If I was going on vacation and spending so much money to get to a park, I would not be going to a World War II park. Yeah, I know. I've heard differing opinions on that, but I would not be there either. I find it frightening seeing Maeve waking up in that environment. But I am glad that we're still going to have her viewpoint, the perspective within, within the park. We wondered how they would keep that interesting and if they would sort of start cutting back and forth between the parks and the real world. Now, moving into episode 301, our premiere, the critics say Parche Domine dares to go beyond the show's previous boundaries, embarking on an entirely different world. Exactly what's needed to turn the show around and make it not only accessible, but take it in a very exciting direction. The title itself, because we like to look at this, comes from a Roman Catholic antiphon derived from Joel. It translates the lines go on into the rest of the song to, Lord, spare your people, be not angry with us forever. And we see that the word God or gods is referred to often in this episode. And even the opening sequence, the title screen, has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I can't wait to break that down. In typical Westworld fashion, we also got a lot of great music in the backdrop. We got Ramin Jawadi's version of Sweet Child of Mine. Amazing. Ramin's back in our world. I love that. Mm-hmm. 99 Red Balloons played when Caleb went to meet Ash and Giggles. Death Grips Bubbles Buried in the Jungle played as the song where Ash does the audio takeover and the music just starts coming out in everyone's earphones. Dissolved Girl by Massive Attack played when Dolores arrived at the party. I think one of the most recognizable ones, Common People by Pulp, played when Martin was holding Dolores captive. And another Jawadi, This World, at the very end when Caleb saves Dolores in the tunnel. Next, let's quickly go through our new faces, places, and ideas. We had quite a lot because it was the season premiere. We were introduced to a bunch of new faces, including Jerry, played by Thomas Kretschmann, a wealthy businessman retired from Insight. We have Liam Dempsey, played by John Gallagher Jr., the figurehead of Insight, or so he calls himself, the man who ostensibly runs Rehoboam. Martin Connells, played by Tommy Flanagan, who works for Liam, worked for his father before him. What would you call him, a bodyguard? Yeah, to unknown eyes, for sure. But I think it's more over someone to watch Liam. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of information, and we see Dolores is going to make use of him. The big new face is Caleb Nichols, played by Aaron Paul, an Army veteran now working construction in L.A. and barely getting by. I think Aaron Paul was the perfect actor for this role because because to me, obviously it's only been one episode, so what do I know? He is going to be the window into humanity for us. He's going to be a reminder that not all humans are the ones beating up, raping, killing hosts in the parks. Not all humans are going to be as messed up as Martin Connell. There's other humans in the world that shows the humanity that we know and love. Well, and of course, he's doing less than savory things, right? He's engaging with this app, Rico, which we see is used for people to pick up criminal work for money. I was getting a huge Grand Theft Auto vibe from that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Now, of course, he does follow some sort of code that he says he doesn't do personals. He's just trying to survive. Assuming it's not person-on-person crime. You know, he's willing to transport things from places A to B. He's willing to rob ATMs, but not attack somebody or kidnap somebody, we assume. And he's also dealing with a pretty serious case of PTSD, which takes me to another character, Francis, voiced by Kid Cudi. Caleb's former friend, they were in the military together. This is one of the big reveals of the episode. I mean, I don't know that it was such a huge shock, but I felt it was very successful anyhow, even if you saw it coming, that Francis is not alive. He's not a real person talking to him on the phone. No, I thought that was beautifully done. And it's another insight into this world. Pardon my French insight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're in the future. And you as a therapist in real life, if you had the tool to use AI that is really well done to replicate the pain that someone's already going through, a lost loved one, a child, things like that. You would use that, right? This is such a complex question that I was thinking about most of the episode it occupied. A lot of my analysis, what do I think about that? When we first see the therapist and Caleb meets with him face to face, he's telling him, I don't have enough time to meet with my patients. I'm completely overwhelmed. Presumably that's a big reason they've developed this technology because if you can only come meet with your therapist once a week, once a month, who knows how often. This is another way you can access these tools. Not only is it somebody that you used to trust and rely upon, so you're willing to talk to them, open up, be a little more vulnerable, and perhaps take advice from them, but if it is related to a traumatic situation such as this with a loss, Caleb can perhaps start to work through his grief, things that he never got to say to Francis, words that he wished he would hear back from him. The problem with this that we see is it's not effective because it's not really Francis. There's all of these messages plugged in there from the system Mm -hmm. of how they want Caleb to get over this, adapt, move on, and he knows this isn't what Francis would tell me. And eventually that's what causes him to terminate the program. So it's not perfect. Yeah, it's it's not great. You would have to see some studies, some peer-reviewed studies. (laughs) I think I'd want them to build it in a way that would help people. This is their version of help. You need to fall in line. And we see that consistently with the new society, this new meritocracy, if you want to call it that. That's what Caleb says. But we'll break that down more as we go along. I guess I would use it less... Okay, so with my untrained brain in therapy, I wouldn't use it as a replacement for seeing my therapist often. I would use it as an add-on where... This AI who's trying to be Francis isn't tasked with being the therapist. Instead, it's just a companion piece to help Caleb work through this. Yeah, and of course, he's not going to promote anarchy, right? Mm. Even if it was the real version of a therapist, he's not going to tell him, the system is rigged and it's never going to work for you. That's not effective. But I think it's a first sign of what we're going to see with a lot of this technology and AI. And this is a theme that we've seen in other pop culture representations, what the future might look like when technology advances. What the system thinks is good for you is not necessarily what you as people would say, well, that's something we want. We see this whole concept of Rehoboam and the company insight was we know better. We know what's best for you. Let us decide. That's an issue. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about insight in just a moment. To finish up our new faces, we got Ash and Giggles, played respectively by Lena Waithe and Marshawn Lynch. And I know you want to talk about that shirt, Jason. (laughs) 
and we hear about, but we don't yet see, Sirach, the man who we think is the ultimate architect, the only one who actually has control of Rehoboam. Played by Vincent Cassell. Now, next up for our new ideas, we have the company Insight. We're going to talk more about this in our closer look later. But as a brief recap, this is the company who, in response to the Privacy Act of 2039, has offered a new initiative that affects the way your private information is collected, stored, and processed. The website looks cool. Yes, cool and scary. Scary, And this is something we talk about a lot, that this show really is able to do so well. Take technology that is possible, foreseeable, projected out a little bit into the future, not hundreds and hundreds of years, but how might this look? Sort of like Black Mirror and what could the dangers of that be? Because ostensibly this company is going to tell you what job you should be in, what friends you should have, what you should buy, everything about how your life should be run will be dictated to you. That's crazy. Similar to Black Mirror episodes. And honestly, if we're not careful, the future could look like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I could see my grandfather saying, I'm not going to let a toaster oven tell me how I should live. Your grandfather, me, I would say that. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have those discussions. But on the heels of that, inside is the company. The machine is Rehoboam, the most advanced AI. They say it's the strategy engine that saved the world. Now, in history, Rehoboam was the son of Solomon and the king of Judah. This is a long story that we're not going to get in depth with, but I'm sure that we're going to return to that later. How could that be a metaphor, perhaps, for some of the themes that run through the season? I mean, just briefly, he presided over the Civil War and saw the tribes of Israel break off. I mean, you can just extrapolate that little bit and piece it together with what could happen here. Because he, as the son, was being punished, quote-unquote, for the sins of his father, Solomon, by God, that God said to Solomon, there will be these consequences, but not on you in your lifetime. It'll happen later to your son. That's right, yeah. And thus he had to deal with a reign filled with turmoil and chaos. Now, looking back at this website, reading it, it felt so similar to what Google's doing, just not telling you about it. But as the years are going on, we're starting to really learn, oh, all those fun, free, downloadable things for my browser to make it easier for me to just sign into my Google account anywhere. And oh, I can sign up, sign into multiple websites just using my Google account. Google's so helpful, Or even further, if you're creating a website, here's a free analytics tool. Just put in this Google JavaScript. Now, I'm not one to talk. All of the websites I create, I use Google Analytics because it works. It does give you the information, but also gives Google the information. All of this, all of this free, awesome functionality to make your life easier is feeding into the Google brain, and they know more about us than we know. This is the same thing, insight, but it's just telling you straight up. But since it's in the future, it's saying, remember the evil Googles of the world? We're not like that. We're going to have that information, but we're going to do it with more privacy and for you. Well, yeah, not for advertising purposes to try to sell something to you, but to help you. And like I said, we're going to get a lot more into that when we go to our closer look, how they think that they're helping you. But here was red flag number one for me. A lot of people are talking about this word insight, the other spelling I-N-S-I-G-H-T, is insights, knowledge into deeper layers of things. But the way they're spelling it, I-N-C-I-T-E, is totally different. That means to encourage or to stir up violent or unlawful behaviors. Oh, wow. So is it a mistake (laughs) that they spelled it that way? I don't think so. 
little wink wink from the writers. I like it. Well, next up, Jason, before we get into our plot, we have to talk about this title sequence, which we know changes year to year and often tells us a lot. We might not understand exactly what it means up front, but symbolism foreshadowing for what's to come during the next season. Let's start by saying we've gotten some consistent imagery throughout. There's always the hands playing the player piano. There is always a female host. In season one, we saw she's having sex with a male host, and then she's riding a horse. In season two, she's holding a baby. And here in season three, swimming to the surface of a dark pool. There's also always an artificially constructed animal. In one, a horse, two, a buffalo, and three, here, an eagle. Now, being CKC, we're going to constantly speculate, throw out wild theories. We're not afraid to get into stuff where we're probably going to be completely wrong. But I went into looking because I know about animal symbolism, psychology, what certain images can mean. I didn't know anything specifically about some of these. What was interesting, every single time I put it in, these three animals specifically, what came up was Native American symbology. Now, what they have to say is that the horse represents strength, freedom, and nobility. The buffalo, sustaining of life, a reminder to take only what one needs. And the eagle, a powerful symbol that represents victory, conquest, and personal power. So that really changes over time. You know, season one, just wanting to have their own freedom to get out of this maze that they're stuck on, them being the hosts, right? Season two, we do see that buffalo crashing through the window. Yeah. So absolutely a strength, but also focused on sustaining life, only taking what you need. Whereas here, we've really moved to victory, personal power, conquest. And we see that. Dolores wants to take over. She's the new god. They don't want to just get out and have their own freedom. She thinks they are the superior species, right? Now, as we mentioned, there's also certain things that foreshadow what happens later. In season one, we saw that revolver being constructed and fired. And of course, by the end, we're going to see Dolores shooting Ford, as well as a couple making love, which could have been a nod to William and Dolores' relationship. In season two, there's a host mother holding a baby, representing Maeve's search for her daughter. The Vitruvian man, this is the host stretched out and being lowered into liquid. That's a constant. But in two, we see the man with a halo around his head, and we also see the man in black's hat falling into a similar halo light, maybe showing us that the man in black will eventually become a human-host hybrid. What's different this season, the Vitruvian man sinks into red liquid Mm -hmm. instead of white this time. I think that's pretty obvious that it should be blood, but is that because they are becoming more human? Is that representing that hybrid is really the way to go? What are they trying to say about the host through that symbology? Now let's talk some more differences for season three. We see a dandelion coming apart in concentric circles. As it comes apart, each of these pieces starts to fly towards Rehoboam. You see the lights of the circular structure. So a few things here. Is this showing tech replacing the natural world? The dandelion changes into the AI. We also see cells in mitosis breaking apart and forming more. Is it the reproduction of... Because we assume Dolores keeps saying she's going to make more of the host's species. Oh, yeah. But also the way that that circle imagery is repetitive through everything and moving out makes us think of the maze, which was really prominent in prior seasons. The man in maze, yeah. Yet another Native American symbol that's supposed to depict the seven paths and cycles of life. 
that one must be guided through and showing you that the journey of life is not always easy. When you figured this out and you spoke to me, I was blown away. And I think in the podcast, it seems like you're... Downplaying it? Downplaying it. (laughs) There's so much in Westworld that's heavily pulled from Native Americans. I mean, you went through them very quickly. The opening scenes, the horse, the buffalo, the eagle, the man in maze. There's a lot that we're not even bringing up because this podcast is going to be long as it is. Mm -hmm. I bet if we spoke to Nolan and Joy, they would say that this was their foundation. This is what they started off of. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. We did talk about this last season when we were seeing the parks representation of Native Americans through Ghost Nation. But it all came from this narrative and it was very stereotyped. It was hard to tell if that was just something they were putting in there regarding how the Westworld parks would depict it or if this was actually true to real life Native American motifs, themes, symbology underlying the story, the show of Westworld. And now it's seeming like maybe it is. It always felt a little more important than Native Americans. That's why I was so confused the last season once it was done. We were like, oh, so that's it. That's the end of them. But we have to remember they started off as the peaceful tribe. And it wasn't very entertaining to the guests. So then they went into the more of the vicious tribes in the world. And the real different look of that that we got was through Akichida. But unfortunately, all too soon, we were done with his storyline as well. But there's so much happening here in this opening. I know that we're not all going to get to it. Another big point I wanted to talk about is the eagle flying towards the sun. Yeah. Now, I could have sworn when we first see it, it looks like an eye and then transforms into a sun. And I do think we've gotten a lot of eyeball imagery in the title sequence, so it wouldn't be a surprise. But the important part is once it starts flying towards the sun, the body begins disintegrating from the heat. Now, this has got to be a really obvious nod to the story of Icarus, who, of course, in Greek mythology is son of Daedalus, the most brilliant inventor that ever lived. By the way, he created the labyrinth. (laughs) So it all comes back around. But in this story, because of his creations, he's thrown into jail and he's trying to find a way to get him and Icarus out of there. So he constructs these wings made of feathers and wax And he warns Icarus about the dangers of hubris, that he can't fly too high or too close to the sun. That's where we get that saying from, or else the wax would melt. But also that he couldn't fly too low because the sea's dampness and the salt would clog the wings and they wouldn't be able to flap. Of course, Icarus ignored these instructions and did fly too close to the sun. He got caught up in the feeling of freedom and the wax began to melt on his wings till they pulled away from him one at a time and he tumbled out of the sky into the sea where he drowned. So what could that symbolize? Could that symbolize Dolores doing so well, but now is going to start flying too close to the sun? Yeah, her own hubris to think that she can take over. The host species is better. She'll take them all out and replace them. And perhaps that's what's going to strip her down and result in her downfall because they pair that going back and forth with the eagle to the host who's swimming up towards the surface, but eventually winds up sinking back down under the water. So when the host is first swimming up, you see the hand reaching up and it looks like a finger from the surface coming closer and closer that the two fingers are about to meet, much like in Da Vinci's The Creation of Adam painting. Love it. Now that's supposed to mean God created man in his own image. Well, here it's Dolores, who thinks they're gods, creating other hosts in their own image, right? But as soon as they get to that point of contact, when the finger breaks the reflection, 
that's when the bird starts to fall apart. That's when the body sinks back down underneath the water. You know, again, will her mission fail? It all, it all sort of comes back around to the same idea. It's very curious because I see at this point so many ways this could go. I see Dolores having a civil war with Maeve and crew. So Dolores and her team, which we'll get into, and Maeve and Bernard and all of them fighting... Against each other. Against right? each other, yeah. yeah. So there'll be their, their own downfall. Or I see maybe, maybe this Caleb character will show her enough humanity where she ends up being the one once she gets a hold of Hemenanan. Rehoboam? Rehoboam. And realizes the truth about that and realizing, oh, we're just as bad or something. Um, maybe she becomes the white horse and Maeve is the bad guy. We never, you don't know at this point. Well, if she starts to see that this technology is oppressing people much the same way the hosts were within the park, it's telling them how to live, what to be. They can't break out of their own loops, even as humans. This is what she was trying to free her people from. So might she not want to free others from the bad technology of Rehoboam? So any more thoughts on this title sequence? And I'm sure it's going to change as we go along what we think about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a hundred thoughts. We could actually make an entire episode discussing the opening, but I think we should move on (laughs) in order to keep this podcast digestible. Well, sounds good. Let's go to our plot. First, we have the cold open with Dolores, where Jerry is being given a report on the Westworld massacre with the information that casualties were mainly employees, but the media is calling it a bloodbath. He closes the holographic image, we learn that's a thing in the real world, Mm -hmm. and goes into his bedroom where he takes a disc from a container and puts it in his mouth for a mellow sunset duration of six hours. I want one of those. More technology. We don't really know what it is. Is it their version of a drug in this world? A sleeping pill, a sleep aid? Yeah, but it's like AI induced. We probably have chips in our head. So this talks to the chip. It's like a software playlist link. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I, I'm scared by all of it. <laughs> I'll get to it. I mean, you could extrapolate from that idea and say, in the future, they don't... Now, this isn't Westworld, but I'm saying this could be possible. In the future, they don't have real food anymore. That All the animals died out. So instead, they have these tasteless pieces of almost feels like plastic mm-hmm. that has all the nutrients you need to survive and be very healthy, more healthy than us eating now because we're going to go downstairs and eat Doritos. But you can buy flavors with it, and the flavors are just talking to the chip in your head. Telling you that. Telling you it tastes like, like you're eating. turkey and gravy. Yep. Something weird is going on with the food production in this world, but we'll get to that when we talk about Bernard. Here with Jerry in the middle of the night, he wakes with a mask on to find his security system has been hacked. And he sees a woman, Dolores, swimming in his pool. She tells him, you want to be the dominant, dominant species, species, but you built your whole world with things more like me. Not going to hurt me, are you? I've hurt so many people, I don't want to hurt anyone else. Unless they try to hurt me. Which sadly you will. You see, I know you. I read your book. Book? What book? Think of it as an unauthorized autobiography. You're in technology. You didn't think that I was the only thing Dallas was selling, did you? It's showing his lack of control over the technology. Oh, when, yeah, the whole house is... <laughs> when it overtakes him and there is nothing he can do about it. Yeah. So you think you're the masters, but what happens, and I always thought about this, 
you have a smart house or all this technology going on. If something doesn't work or malfunctions, there's not even the ability to manually fix something or change something. You're just screwed. <laughs> Especially in that world. All the cars are autonomous, except for the one Caleb drives later mm-hmm. on. At this point, hate this. <laughs> I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have this conversation every episode probably. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm still rooting for her, but towards the end of the episode, I'm starting to think, okay, she's kind of becoming villainous at this point. I don't know 100% how I feel, but at this point, she's still going against the uber rich who don't care about humans anyways. They just care about taking control making all the money. So I'm still kind of okay with it. Well, and she's not human, right? She's a host. And yet she does seem to be targeting, yes, people who are important to the mission. They were associated with Insight or their higher ups, but also she's had personal experience with them. It's almost a revenge vendetta. Every conversation, like later on when she talks to Jerry, don't you remember the time that you came to the park for your bachelor party? And she has sort of that flashback memory of being in the barn. So does she hold some of that human emotion that in one sense she wants revenge upon them? I think Ford put that into her. Along the lines of what you were saying, I was talking about that all of season two in listening back to our bonus that I had a really hard time getting on board with Dolores as a protagonist or feeling with her because it was so vengeance motivated. Yeah. It was emotionally disconnected. And felt like I'm going to kill whoever stands in my way just to get out of here. So there's a little bit more of that Terminator Dolores feeling Mm -hmm. extending into season three. I do think meeting up with Caleb might change that. Now, I was hopeful at the end of season two, we might see her working more with Bernard. And that could have an impact. It seems they've gone their separate ways. So I guess not. Yeah, it's really hard to predict right now because we haven't delved into Maeve yet. So we don't know the full landscape. If you remember um, this time in season two, we're like, there's a flood, but we don't know why, how, Mm -hmm. what, when. It's that point again. Yeah. We really don't know at this point. But we have so many options and it's so fun and so well written. I'm just enjoying the ride. I guess the the question is, who do you root for, right? So we had left off season two with me saying, as frustrating as Bernard was, he was my MVB. I still wanted to see him overcome all of the challenges, find a better version of himself that wasn't so controlled and programmed. And I was also connected to Maeve. She was your number one. As you said, we haven't gotten a lot of her yet. But thank goodness we do have Caleb. And that makes me want to believe he's human. We'll get to that conversation. I think it's going to ruin it for me, though, if he's not. Yeah, and I'm quickly falling in love with that character. He's fun to watch on screen. Also, to talk about who to root for, and you wouldn't let me do this, I wanted to, on every MVB poll, put Dr. Ford. <laughs> Just <laughs> I wanted that last season, but since we haven't seen or heard of him yet in season three... I don't know if he will, <clears throat> if he will come back. I think his story is done. The story, yes, but the concept of him, I think it's not finished. Okay. But back to Jerry... As we said, Dolores notes that he doesn't remember his time from the bachelor party in the park before his marriage to his first wife. After reading his book, she knows his flaw is his temper. So that's another key thing. How many people's books did she manage to read when she was within the system in the park? Well, I'm sure more than we can imagine. She's a computer, so she doesn't read like us. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining more than she needs. Yeah, she's got a lot up there in her memory. But also, um, we don't know where she shot the gun, not the gun, whatever that, 
the end of season two, Bernard was trying to put those, all those memories somewhere safe, and she positioned it to a better place, saying somewhere where no one will ever be able to get to it. Does she still have access That's to it? That's what I'm getting at. She yeah. might. I believe where she beamed it was out of the park, somewhere safe, quote-unquote, where she can access it, where she can create her whole new world of gods. Like a cloud storage drive, if you will. Similar to the way she did it in the end of this season, mm-hmm. but maybe not with uh, as much vengeance and all of them hopefully like the good people she won't be so mean to Mm. yeah so how does she get that data on let's say you know people who have visited the park if she wanted to recreate them let's take martin as an example by the end of this episode she winds up creating a martin body yep we know she's got that printer with her in la so she can print bodies no problem It's the minds that you can't just recreate. So she took five pearls with her that have host minds from the park. Mm -hmm. She's able to use that. What about knowledge about people's minds? There's no way we know right now that you could just access that. That's the whole point of the park was to get that. So ostensibly, if she had access to this cloud drive, she would have tons of human info, whoever visited the park. But she's got to be able to access it. How does she know who she's going to need and when? Unless she read every single book. When she was there that day. Right. And maybe she did. Yeah, maybe. Um, But if she has access to it, you know, and now I guess we're guessing. We don't know yet if the new Martin character has memories. Because it could be the host that she trusts. Oh, I think it's a host in him, yeah. Well, it definitely is. But maybe with some downloaded memories from, let's say, the cloud. That could be important to know what Martin knew. Yeah. Just gets very interesting and complicated. Curious. Don't know yet. Anyway, we're already off. Let's come back to Jerry. Dolores uses another piece of tech that's really interesting. She forces on this pair of glasses, and it shows him critical memories, ones he's quote-unquote chosen to forget. So this is another way somehow of storing human info, that it's in these glasses, it forces him to see it, or the glasses are accessing a part of his mind. I think the glasses were his. It's something behind it that went in like close to his temporal lobes. Okay. It wasn't the glasses itself. So it's pulling it out of his... Memory. Memory bank. And using like uh, augmented reality mm-hmm. to display it and, and make him relive it. That is scary. Also potentially another therapy tool if used right. Oh. It shows him scenes of him beating his ex-wife and eventually drowning her in a pool. Dolores then informs him she's taken most of his money, but now she wants information. He saved confidential files when he retired from Insight, and she forces him to transfer them to her. I'm the last of my kind for now. I need a competitive advantage for the origin of a new species. She gets what she wants, and she's about to leave when Jerry starts running after her, and her hologram disappears. Now that got me. Was she a hologram the entire time she was there? No. Because how did she... The pool scene she was. Swim in the pool. How did she hand... If you remember, she hands the tablet and Jerry has to yeah. confirm his identity. Inside the house, it was her. Okay. Once we went back outside. Because she already invoked the panic. And she knew human nature, this is where it's fight or flight. So she got out. He's trying to flight right now. He was not going to be able to entrapping him. The only thing left is fight. Mm-hmm. Well, what ends up happening here is he dives headfirst into the pool, hits his head on the concrete, and kills himself. How ironic. See, at this point... I'm rooting for Dolores again. She's going after the bad guys. They're getting what they want. But at the same time, this is being compounded and giving her the confirmation bias that humans are evil. Mm. And that's what I'm scared about. 
And that's why I'm hoping Caleb will show her the other end. I agree. Now, after the cold open, we get our first screen. We're going to have a couple throughout the course of this episode. I assume it's Rehoboam picking up on activities anywhere around the world that are suspicious, need to be looked into further, anomalies. Beautifully created. The design, the artwork of Westworld is top-notch. I love it so much as a designer. But then once you break down and realize what it's doing, it's dictating our lives. It really is. It's a mixture of a lot of different shows. Mr. Robot, iRobot, with the whole, you know, I saved you, not the child, because you had a 3% chance more of survival. And so far, it has a really big influence off of Minority Report, because that was using algorithms to figure out what murders might happen, and you can actually arrest someone before they actually do it. Yeah, which was a big point of controversy there, too. So this screen shows us Elevated Scrutiny, London, U-R-E-W. We have no idea what that means. People have done some conjecturing. Has there been shifts in the geopolitical landscape? So there's now new nations. For instance, this could be the United Realms of England and Wales or something along those lines. Special circumstances. And then you get a latitude, longitude location. And what we're going to is this party put on by Insight, honoring their technologist of the year, Liam Dempsey. A self-driving car drops Dolores off. She walks in. I love this scene where she's wearing the black cocktail dress. Yeah. But she just pulls it down in one motion. It transforms to a gold gown. Did you know that that wasn't computer graphics? They actually created that dress. No way. Yeah, you got to watch the behind the scenes. It's sick. How do I buy that dress? (laughs) Well, I don't think we can afford it. It's amazing. And it is a head turner. I thought that was beautifully done. But I want to point out the photo that you get, the first photo as she walks in of Liam, saying that he's the man of the year, technologist of the year, whatever it was. Behind his face is a design, and it looked like the maze. Mm, Yes. Now, looking into it further, you see more Insight logos and designs later on in the episode. Their full design has a maze-type structure to it. So that's what we were seeing. But zoomed in like that, it looked exactly like the man in the maze. Which makes me start to think, if we're going to start seeing little tidbits like that throughout this season, come on, you're going to hate me for this. Is this another test? Because we saw she went through it. I hate this What she went through with the whole maze thing. Now this is extrapolated into the big world. No, maybe it's not a, a simulation. Okay. But maybe that was Dr. Ford testing, doing this tri- these trial runs, because we found out she's done this often. Mm-hmm finding the, the man in the maze. This is uh, the final. If it's the real world and Ford is dead, how did he pull off having so much influence over all these variables that he doesn't know what's going to happen, where Dolores is going to go? I mean, that kind of reach is godlike. If it's not a simulation, I find it hard to believe that. Well, he is their god. These trials, the countless numbers of times he did it, He probably changed and tweaked circumstances, knowing that he cannot set circumstances in the real world, but he's tested her on all of them. Dolores' reactions. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he no longer has control, but he has set up the machine to do what it needs to do, no matter what. But I'm guessing one circumstance he didn't think about is Caleb. If he's a human, and I don't want to start questioning that, but... Does this mean there's any connection to Delos and Insight? Are they secret partners? Are they enemies? 
I mean, you've got insight with the greatest technology supposedly in the world known to the real world. And then Delos with maybe even greater technology than that. We're not sure that they are on the surface giving you this experience with these AI hosts, but under the surface trying to create human host hybrids. The Uber what do rich, they mean to each other? Well, I think the yeah, that's a good that'll answer a lot of questions once we know that. But I would say that the Uber rich know the Uber rich. They mm. know each other. Um, can I say this? People are going to be so pissed. What if inside Wahobowam, which Rehoboam. I, I want to just call it Ober, Oberin for now? <laughs> no, no. Is is uh, Ford? Oh my goodness. And the Ford that got shot was not real. It was a host. The Ford that we saw in season two, we thought it was just implanted memories. It's implanted AI because Rahoboam, Oberyn, uh, was controlling that the whole time too. Well, that's, that's... <laughs> and now I'm, I'm jumping... Uh, yeah, listen, I'm going to have to think about that I don't really <laughs> believe this. It's, we've watched one freaking episode. <laughs> this is just having some fun. But in the end, you just see uh, the face of Dr. Ford. <laughs> it's all about Ford. You just want to make it all about Ford. <laughs> Well, we hear at this party, it seems the, the first real groundbreaking thing Rehoboam did was solve climate change. There was a climate catastrophe impending, yeah. and somehow it saved the world. We also see Dolores is dating Liam. This is how she's tried to get herself on the inside. He knows her as Lara Espen. And one of the women at the party remarks that he met the mysterious girl in Burma last month. And she isn't like the women he usually dates. We're not really sure why. But they are a little bit suspicious of her. A bunch of the partygoers start to get in a conversation. And one of the people, Roderick, is sort of spouting these crazy ideas. What if none of this is real? We're living in a simulation. The joke's on us, though. It's like with those fuck puppets at Dallas. At least they had the dignity to revolt and kill everyone. They killed the board of directors, which I can get behind, frankly. Just think about this. For one second, how fucking ironic would it be if they had put a simulation within a simulation? That's a massive fuck you. Is probably Westworld messing with us as they like to do, but yeah. certainly makes you think along the lines of all the things you're saying. What if this is just another test? Or what if it's not even real? It's another simulation. Oh, man. But what I like about this scene is Dolores points out that people will believe the things that help them. And in fact, there's a portion of our brain responsible for that called the nucleus accumbens. She says it's the part of your brain evolved to believe in God. Now, that's an actual thing. It is a part of your brain that plays a significant role in cognitive processes, including motivation, aversion, reward and reinforcement learning, and thus it's involved in the process of addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, you take something, it releases dopamine, you like that feeling, and you are trained to want that again. You are also trained to avoid anything that's bad or doesn't feel good. It's involved in the induction of slow-wave sleep, the processing of fear, impulsivity, and the placebo effect. That's why with some people with uh, brain injuries, they have problems with impulsive behavior. Yeah, and that could be due to several different areas of the brain being affected, but certainly if you had control over the nucleus accumbens. Mm. You, you could push people in a lot of different directions. Absolutely. One would argue that, I don't know if we should go down this route. Uh, I mean, let me give a, a very surface comment instead of going so deep. 
in a way, marketing is trying to tap into that part of your brain and control it. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it makes you feel good every time you see that photo of the burger or every time you hear that melody. I don't want to grow up because I'm a Toys R Us, you know, things <laughs> like that. They're, that's the part of the brain they're trying to talk to. Yeah. I was going to go even deeper, but we won't go there. <laughs> well, after this conversation, Martin, who we're meeting for the first time, pulls Liam aside to tell him they have a problem. The higher-ups want a meeting. So Liam asks Dolores, I'm just keep calling her Dolores, to come with him. Now they go aboard this flying transportation, a new introduction to us. I love this. I'm just going to cut you off there. (laughs) It's a giant drone, people. Yeah. Now, on our Patreon podcast, we discussed this maybe six months ago, the fact that Uber is working on Uber Air, which is a flying drone. At first, it's going to be with humans flying it, and then eventually their dream is to make it autonomous. Well, that's it years from now. That's Uber Air. And in a nutshell, I kept saying, how would this be possible? Anything where there's a sufficient amount of air traffic, you need a controlling system. This is why we have a system for our airplanes, because they would just be smashing into each other all the time. You have Oberon. Well, yeah, there's the solution, because Dolores, in fact, makes a joke out of it. Does Insight control everything, including the traffic? And they must need to in order to ensure that doesn't happen. I am also pretty sure that we didn't see it. You would have to be wealthy to get private ones. Your own flying transport, your own self-driving car. Yeah. Or you're sharing that with other people, right? Yeah. But I mean, the thought of just pulling up anywhere, getting out and then say, go park yourself, dude. That's awesome. (laughs) But see, here's the thing that I'm driving at. It wouldn't be. It would be more like public transportation now. For us. For most people. For regulars. So you don't have the freedom of having your own car, driving your own car. Anytime you want that convenience, you're giving up the freedoms and the independence with it. I want a flying drone. That's what I want. (laughs) Well, aboard this transport, Dolores tells Liam it's been a while since she was home. And when she wonders if Insight controls everything, he brushes it off, saying that his father just had the best AI and they were in the right place at the right time. Once there, they enter this building. On the inside, it's, it's really interesting. It almost looks maze-like. Oh, it's beautiful. That structure. But it's something to keep in mind now that you're talking about it. Don't look for symbolism in that because they mm-hmm. didn't build that. It's not a set. And the whole cityscape, to save money, they didn't build any of that. I mean, maybe some interiors. That was all filmed in Singapore because it already looks like the future. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? But they chose that building. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they selected that shot that looks like a maze spiraling oh, down. Oh, for sure. You well, know? Yeah. What I'm getting at is because that's our cover photo. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at it when I was designing it. And I was like, wait, is there a symbol in there? Does that <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait, wait. What am I talking about? That really exists. What am I? Yeah, yeah. At least I think it does. Maybe they added that to the building. No, I'm pretty sure. And it looks more organic, Mm. you know. But also inside is Rehoboam. Now, how is it possible that this structure is just sitting here in the middle of this building? That feels insane. Do you remember iRobot? Yes. It's identical, basically. Yeah. It's just a big brain. It's a spherical lit structure here. And Liam says his father designed it. It took 15 years to build. And he's lost track of how many thoughts it has per second. Now, they're not really thoughts, he says. They're more like strategies. But the whole thing was designed because his father thought the biggest problem in the world was unrealized potential. If you could chart a course for every person, you could make the world a better place. Strategies they're using instead of possibilities. Mm. 
This brings me back to Minority Report. That's what it was doing. It was using algorithms to figure out what's the most likely scenario. This but, one's doing what's the best scenario. But even further than that, it's completely taking away your free will. We have decided which path is right for you. Yeah. And you have no choice in that matter. Splitting up, Dolores and Liam agree to meet later. Oh my God, it's a giant eight ball. <laughs> it tells you what your future is. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Chances are unlikely. I love this part. Dolores finds a bike and she follows Liam to the Hotel Indigo, where she has her virtual assistant rent her an apartment within seconds. So she's able to get in the building and she can spy on him. She listens as a woman tells Liam there's been turbulence or discrepancies in the data. They think someone on the inside has gotten access to Rehoboam because the machine would alert them to outside intrusion. Mm. But Liam tells her a leak is impossible. Nobody goes against this. You do what he tells you. It didn't get through it. That's Dr. Ford, and he's letting it happen. Uh, oh, shit. Well, so who is he? Is it this Serac architect guy that we're going to meet later? Is that all the same person? We're not really sure what this means yet. Oh, I, sorry. I thought when you said he, we were talking about Rehoboam. I can't say that. It, well, somebody's still controlling it, and that's why we assume this person is to be feared. Mm-hmm. Liam doesn't really have any agency. He just does whatever this guy tells him. Yeah, he's a figurehead. He has no, he's nothing. Mm-hmm. He tells Dolores that later she approaches him, saying she knows he's in trouble, she wants to help, and he does start to open up. The system, Rehoboam. Sometimes I wish I could just turn the whole fucking thing off. Kill it. Why can't you? You control it. No, I don't. I never have. After my father died, his partner locked me out of the system. I have read access to the outer layers, but nothing deeper. You have no idea what the system is doing. I go to the office, I spend the money. I'm a fucking figurehead. No one knows what the system is doing. Other than its original architect. Who? Please let me help. Tell me who it is. If I was going to tell you, he'd know already. Rehoboam would tell him. I'd already be dead. Just like my dad. She's very manipulative. Mm-hmm. Kind of blatantly, but I guess he's too troubled to really see it. Well, at this point, I'm jumping the gun here. At this point, she knows she's about to get caught. She knows. She set this all up. And I'll, get, I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. I, I'm not following that, but... He admits, Liam, that sometimes he wishes he could shut the whole system down because he doesn't have control of it. He never has. After his father died, his partner locked him out of all but the surface levels. No one knows what the system is doing other than its original architect, which is scary. And if he told her or anyone else who that was, they would kill him. It seems he's about to talk more when Martin comes from behind and tases Dolores. He tells Liam he missed figuring out the information on his first check, but he's discovered her true identity, that Dolores stole the identity of a dead 12-year-old Ukrainian girl. And she's up to no good. He shows her an encrypted text she sent last night to an unknown contact, saying, it's time, I'll lure him out tonight. And then they respond, I'll meet you there. So this is what I mean. I think she would have been a lot more safe with her text messaging knowing technology 
because she is technology, knowing that they can track that, she wouldn't do that. So she set it up. I'm luring him in there by getting captured, and they're going to go to that spot. She gets them away from everybody, away from the confines of the buildings, and she can do what she did. Because she knows Martin will respond to this situation. We hear him angrily telling Caleb he safeguarded the fortunes of the company for not only Liam, but his father before that for 20 years. So he says he'll clean up the mess. Well, then we get another screen saying anomaly detected Los Angeles, minor irregularities analysis required. And this is in reference to our first look at Caleb. So I wonder why he's an anomaly. Hmm. Hmm. One factor among many that I know is the cause for people guessing at who is what is Caleb. See, at this point, it could be either. I agree there's many things you could point to to say that he is a host. But story-wise, I think it would be more impactful to have the yin to the yang. We have Dolores as a host, the yin. Then you have the yang, which is Caleb. Yeah, and Nolan and Joy talked that up so much leading up to the season that that was going to be a major factor in Dolores' character arc. Meeting and interacting with Caleb, I think it does take something huge away if he's not human and she doesn't get that counterpoint. In addition to a lot of the things people point to about him, the fact that he does the same thing every day, he's living on this loop the way he wakes up, is all explained by the fact that humans do live on a loop in this world. We do, yeah. They are, and especially in this new real world we're seeing, where their lives are being dictated by Rehoboam. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it with the coronavirus. Everyone's on lockdown. Everyone's been taken out of their loop, and some people aren't dealing well with it. Mm -hmm. We do need a little bit of loop to sustain our sanity, I think. But I do get tired real quick of the same loop. I did when I was a kid. I remember driving to high school as a junior or senior and, and thinking, here I am again, driving the same streets, going to the same homeroom, going to the same classes. I struggle with the loop. I think I would do better being taken out of the loop. Here's what I think most people probably feel. They do like that sense of consistency and routine to some degree, but ultimately they also want to feel like they're in control of their own destiny. They're yeah. making the choice to do that. If they wanted to do something different, they could. They're not stuck. And that's, I think, very much how Caleb's feeling. Yeah. But the older you get, the more stuck you are. If you own a house and you have a mortgage on it and you have three kids, you can't just say, you know what? F this job. I'm going to start somewhere new. Well, you just can't. for sure. But you have the illusion of, of free yes. will. Ultimately, you could say that if you wanted to. I right. make my own decisions. And I, I think <laughs> there's a bit of that going on here when we open up with Caleb. We see his job is running fiber to pay the bills, quote unquote, alongside his partner, George. Cool George. Who is a Delos model G267. So you see Delos has a lot of operations inside the real world mm -hmm. as well. Yep. That's why I question the connections. He thinks that this world is run much like the army on algorithms. And he thought technology would make things better. Sometimes it seems like the world is all right. They put a coat of paint on it, but inside it's rotting. They say it's a meritocracy, that the system picks the right people for the right job, but where does that leave those who didn't make the cut? He feels like he needs to work better in order to get his scores up, and we find out that has a lot to do with the way things function. That is, apparently what the meritocracy is, you have some kind of overall score that enables you to make different choices. Mm. Throughout this, we see Caleb ignoring calls from Francis in real time, but we hear snippets of a conversation and voiceover. 
that we know is going to happen later on in the episode. Francis wonders if Caleb ever thinks of getting his implant turned back on to smooth out the rough edges. So what is the implant? Do you get them at birth and then you have the option to turn them on and off? What does it do when it's turned on? Is that partially responsible for why Caleb has a low score? Because he's opting out of the full control oh, maybe. of insight and making some of these decisions on his own. It clearly enables him to work on these Rico jobs that I don't think he would be able to otherwise. Maybe they can't track him mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I also think he can't take those, let's just say pills for what it's worth. He can't take those pills and have the same effect because his implant is none. He doesn't get the benefits or the downfalls right. of some of the implant things. We also see him visit his mother in a facility he can't afford. And they're urging him to switch to a state facility. His mother thinks that's not her son. This is a scene clearly meant to build empathy. Caleb doesn't just break the law. There's a reason to do it. To make money, right? He's got a purpose. But also that's another point that had people questioning why does she not recognize him as her son? Also could be explained if she has some form of dementia or Alzheimer's whenever she's doing this facility. Or just that he's changed, perhaps. Well, yeah, a lot of people say after war they've changed. But I think he calls her mom and she says, you're not my son. Mm -hmm. She doesn't say it like, you're not my son. Yeah. Or like, you're not my son anymore. I really think it's just she's sick. Yeah, well, and we don't get a lot of interaction yet with her, so it's hard to tell. But frustrated about the financial challenges, this is when we see Caleb log into Rico where redistributive justice takes place. This is funny if you read some of what's in there. They say, steal from the rich, give to Rico, make money. (laughs) Keep it clean, no blood, no guts, minimal mayhem, stats of 3.0 or higher only. So even within this app, they have their own system of stats. Yeah. Again, Grand Theft Auto. You have to be a certain level to do certain tasks or challenges. Yeah, Ash and Giggles are going to tell him even that he should do more personals in order to get his stats up but he won't do that. This is when he meets with the two of them, who he's seemingly worked with before on past jobs. Ash uses this device to knock out all loggers and cameras, and the three of them create an explosion at an ATM where they steal the money and deliver it to a car. We find out he's paid $1,200 for that. Now, that can't be a lot of money in the future. That must be like getting 100 bucks. Could be. It's another factor we're not sure of. What does the financial situation look like? Well, inflation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when can I talk about Giggles' shirt? It's coming up. <laughs> uh, trying to stay positive, Caleb meets with his therapist, who doesn't have a lot of time for him, encourages him to speak more with Francis, someone who knew him best at a challenging point in his life. But the big reason Caleb's doing this is that his benefits are conditional on the fact that he participates in therapy. Whatever he is getting from this system, yeah. he's going to lose it. Once he discontinues that, he also gets another blow when the DCA calls and tells him he didn't get the position he was interviewing for. Do we know what position he was interviewing for? No, I don't think they told us. But it's really sad when he tries to ask, well, how can I fit myself into the right shape here? And then finding out it's a machine. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking. So he turns to Rico again. This time the job is a man demoing a new designer drug. He's running around naked, seemingly hallucinating. And since he's got a prior, he would go to jail, but they tell him he's got high net worth. Yeah, he gets away with a lot more. Mm -hmm. And as they're trying to contain him, that's when we see Giggle's shirt. Well, that's the second time, Missy. Mm -hmm. I noticed it the first time. Mm -hmm. But the first time I didn't realize that it changed. I thought it was just a design shirt that 
had the highlight of amused. Right. But after he gets slapped, it changes where the highlight is angry. Then he hits him back. It goes back to amused. I don't know why these little things play so well off my brain. One, I want that shirt. Do you? It's like a mood rings shirt. But now everybody knows. It's like an open book. Well, I wouldn't take it to work. I wouldn't wear it to work. You know, what if you're playing poker? You don't (laughs) want anxious to pop up. It's just a really cool design shirt. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I love futuristic things like that. That and the drone that's big enough to fly people. I love it all. What if instead of emotions, it had thought words, what you really would like to say to somebody, but Mm. you're not saying? (laughs) Then I'd get in trouble. (laughs) This also makes Caleb think about what Francis told him when they were being medevaced out. They built the world to be a game, and then they rigged it to make sure they always won. You know, why certain people are able to get out of situations while others aren't. There's a definite hierarchy or even caste system at work here. For sure. But we have that now. We definitely have that now. Caleb finally takes a call from Francis, who tells him he needs to face the truth. What happened to them was fucked up, but he needs to let it go. After all, he doesn't want to wind up back in the VA. He encourages him to try playing the game. And that tips him off. Caleb thinks the real Francis would never say that. He thought the system didn't care about them at all, that they had to have their own plan. But then again, Francis never had to figure out how to live in this world. He never made it back. So we see that he actually lost him during their time in the military. Caleb thinks this therapy system isn't working for him and he needs to find someone real to get on with his life. So he unsubscribes. Unsubscribe. Kind of sad. Yeah, he's... Also having to let go of Francis, even though he knows that's not real and some of these things that he's saying are just therapy jargon, it's still a loss, right? Absolutely. To have to say goodbye again. Yeah. And that leads him to his last Rico job where he meets a man in a garage who tells him they want a package delivered and a manual car, which Caleb can drive. Now that's going to have to come back around later, right? For sure, because I'm assuming the manual cars can't be tracked as well or Mm. as easily as the other cars, because they're not part of the system. Or even controlled. Yeah, true. And that has to come into play later. But that made me think about real life. Our kids, well, maybe that's not long enough. Are our kids' kids not going to know what it's like to drive? Are they going to be like, oh my God, they drove themselves? I've been saying that forever, and I'm going to be so sad when that day comes. (laughs) How do they drive the big machines? (laughs) Caleb arrives at the site by the water, but he thinks something is strange. So he refuses to immediately leave the area. He's keeping watch on what's going on. That made me wonder, why didn't they just shoot him? I mean, he was intimidating. He was like, I don't care. Not my first time getting the gun in my face. But these guys are top-notch big deals. Yeah, and why was he so blasé? He he is putting on the tough guy act, but surely he doesn't want to be shot. How was he shot in the head at the first point and recovered from it? We're assuming during his time in the military, but is all of this playing off of our assumptions? Yeah. Definitely a question. Oh, which makes me think maybe you can't voluntarily turn off your implant, but maybe when he was shot, mm. it was affected. Damaged. Damaged. And now it's up to him to get it rebuilt or put back up. Who knows? That's a cool thought. We see a lot of switching taking place here. We go to Dolores, who is taken to the location where Martin instructs a man to inject her with medication. After two vials, she's still breathing. Another car pulls up, and Martin is distracted. He goes to investigate, ordering the man to finish the job. However, Dolores is able to break out and kill the guards, chasing after Martin as he tries to get away in another car. 
The filming in this scene was amazing. Using the car's reverse camera and the screen to show us the guard getting hit, the close-ups, the music. Uh, you didn't notice, but I did. You could kind of see the figure in the car when Martin is outside. And I was like, that's Martin. <laughs> yeah. She made a host Martin. <laughs> you're like, really? I didn't see that. I couldn't even make out who it was. I'm going to use this word again, the badassery. It's a new word of Dolores. I, I was still, I'm still rooting for her at this point. It very much felt like a shift to an action movie. Yeah. I, the more they go to that, the less on board I am with her because she feels like Terminator Dolores. Bullshit. But this leads us to the point where the two of them show down outside and she shoots Martin. Before he dies, she asks him who has control of the system. Martin says his name is Sarek. She won't need to find him. He'll be looking for her. But she thinks she's already got a plan to get close. She'll use Martin. Before she kills him, we see another version of him, Dolores' new printed version of Martin Walkout. So cool. You were free. You had no God. But you tried to build one. Only that thing you built isn't God. Real gods are coming. And they're very angry. Going back to our title, Lord Spare Your People, Be Not Angry With Us Forever. What a quotable moment. Any thoughts about who she's put inside Martin's body? Okay, so this is what I'm thinking off of no grounds. I think Martin is Hector, and I think Charlotte Hale is Armistice. Hmm, okay, so no Clementine. I don't think yet. And I was questionable if she had even brought her. I definitely thought one of the pearls she had was her father, Peter Abernathy. Mm. But I suppose it's a matter of who is the right person for the right job, what skill set they bring to it. Whoever she's putting into Martin has to be pretty sneaky, able to get close, get information, not draw a lot of attention to himself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like your ideas of Hector and Armistice. I hadn't even really thought about them a lot, but those are two good options. I mean, they were her right and left-hand man last season. Mm -hmm. We have two big characters left to discuss. The first is Charlotte Hale. I'm going to refer to her as Hale. Clearly, it's just her body. We, again, don't know what Pearl is inside of her. But in a Delos meeting, the members tell Hale the company should be focusing more on their core businesses, biomechanical and agritech. They think they should sever the park's business. It would be insane to take Delos private because the stocks are down and PR has been a nightmare. But Hale, who we find out is now interim CEO, is confident it will recover. While they need his agreement, him being some member of this board that we don't know yet, she says that he already stipulated a machine shareholder as a proxy. And, well, they're in agreement, so everything's fine. Robots don't kill people, people kill people. One person in particular who orchestrated that massacre, murdered our founder and most of the board in cold blood. Bernard Lowe. And when the authorities find him, which they most assuredly will, we can put the rest of this sort of little mess behind us. Oh, poor Bernard. Scapegoat. I'm assuming his is Ciroc. I don't think so. No? You think he's the architect and runner of Rehoboam and sits on this Delos board? Oh, you're right. That would really make... I mean, we wondered if there's a connection, but I don't... Uh, you're right. I, you're, um, a lot of people are speculating this is the man in black, William. Yes. And that's the that reason he's it. not there. Okay, yeah, I yeah. kind of like that. I got myself confused. It, it's an interesting thought, though. Because I had assumed that algorithm, that machine, was Oberyn. 
<laughs> You're going to keep calling it Oberon. <laughs> I can't say that word. Say it again to me. Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Mm-hmm. You got it. Oberon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Bernard is working in a meat factory. Under his new disguised identity, not so well disguised, Armand Delgado. And he feels for the suffering of a cow that's caught in the wire in the fields. He's trying to lay low. They're living in this pod system outside. He's keeping a low profile, and privately, he's running self-diagnostics. We hear him say, trial 342, prompt question, last contact with Dolores. He wants to know if he's seen her at some time he's not aware of. But he says it's been 92 days, 7 hours, 5 minutes, and 33 seconds. He wouldn't lie to him. He doesn't trust himself. Well, that's the question, right? Is this somebody else's consciousness? Or is it a more Arnold original version, which is kind of what we thought Dolores might want to do with him, restore him to more of that Arnold state and less of the host puppet Bernard that he'd been Mm -hmm. turned into. So is that original personality Arnold, but he's still using Bernard when he needs to, activating him on and off with that button, which I think is a possibility. That's what I see it as. All throughout season two, that was exactly what was happening. Ford would use the fighter portion of him when he needed to and the Bernard portion when he needed to. And Bernard would not remember what Arnold did. Even then, though, any version of that was much different. We hear Dolores talking about that, that it really wasn't as true to the real Arnold. Um, No, it wasn't. So... You know, we had wondered if she was going to recreate that, if she was able to. I think there's still a lot to be learned about what's happening here with Bernard. I I guess the other question here, his last contact with her is 92 days ago. What happened between the two of them? Did they come to and I'm freeing you, but we're still not really on the same page? Yeah, remember she said, uh, you're free to go, Mm -hmm. but we will see each other again and we won't be on the same side. Yeah. And people are on to him. Inside the factory, two men discover his identity and confront him. When they're about to attack, Bernard switches the button on his remote, saying, remember yourself and don't hurt them too badly, after which he fights back, killing at least one of them. (laughs) And following this, he makes his way to the pier, where he secures a boat to take him to Westworld. He's looking for a friend, he says. When he was getting beat up by those two workers, he was saying, I can't do this alone. You guys are in trouble, but I can't fight them alone. Well, what is he going to do? He's going to find the people he knows he can trust, well, the hosts he knows he can trust. And build his own army. Mm -hmm. Who do we root for? (laughs) Well, there's really one person, as we've said over and over again, that we were connected to that's still in the park. And sure enough, in our end credit scene, we get a brief look at Maeve, who awakes in a chair in a bedroom, gun in hand, a man on the floor dying and another tied up, and realizes she's in World War II Germany, or War World. What we have to think about is, what is she doing there? Did Hale put her there? And if that's the case, then she's meant to be there for some reason that we don't know. Or was this... Felix and Sylvester. Yeah. Just saving her and... Exactly. Putting her back in a park. That no one would find her. hmm I wonder. But, I mean, this is the worst park to be in. It would seem. I mean, again, we've got so little. Just a couple of seconds view. I would think we're going to get a lot more of that. Oh, yeah. Next episode. Maybe next episode. So that covers the plot, leaving us with tons of questions. How much does Insight truly control? What are we going to learn about the true architect of Rehoboam? Is this related to Delos in any way? Will Dolores and the technology here be at odds? Will she come to appreciate things about humanity with Caleb? Will it even be a fight against humans or just against the other technology? 
Who's inside Hale? Who's inside Martin? What's going on with Bernard? And how will Maeve in the park factor back in? So that's going to take us to our reverie rating. Just as a brush up, Jason, for season two, IMDb was at an 8.8, Rotten Tomatoes an 89%. I was at an 8.9 and you at a 9. So what do you give our season premiere, episode 301? Well, I've said this in the past when we did episode ones of any season of any show that I get a little excited <laughs> to have it back. I'm going to give in to that feeling because I truly did enjoy it. And I had glee inside of me watching it. So I'm going to go, <laughs> I won't go too high because I need to leave room for better episodes. I'm going to go 9.3 reveries and probably should go higher, but I don't want to box myself in. No, I like it. And I agree. I'm trying to stay reasonable. I really enjoyed this episode. It made me very happy that Westworld was back, but I want to leave room for improvement, so I'm going to give it a nine reveries. And now we move to the Clatcher segment of the podcast, where we ask our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, after every episode, who is your MVB and what are your thoughts? This week, we gave you Dolores, Caleb, and Bernard. Coming in third with 5.2% is Bernard. Understandable. I mean... Yeah, poor Bernard's a mess again. Yeah. He was a mess all season two. I'm happy to see him getting out of the situation by the end, yep. taking some proactive action. I don't know what going back to the park is going to mean, but I'm just eager to see more of him next time. But also, going back to the park isn't necessarily safe if one of Dolores' crew is there. Hell, it's but not he, going to be... But he knows his way around. True. You know? And if he is looking for Maeve, I'm excited for that team up. Coming in second place with 8.6% is Caleb. Well, I got to say, as a character introduction, I thought this was great. I know that he is a bit stuck on his loop, but especially ending it with meeting up with Dolores. Mm -hmm. I think that people felt very split about Aaron Paul. They either loved him in this role as we did or were slightly critical because the fact that it's Aaron Paul took them out of the world a bit. Oh, really? Not yeah, for me. But I, I enjoyed him. And in first place with 86.2% is Dolores. This was her episode for sure. She's kicking ass and taking names and taking bodies. Well, let's see what our Clatchers had to say. So Melly's asking what's the B in MVB again, because we do change this up with every show. Yes. You know, magicians, it's MVM for most valuable magician. Here we did B for being so that you could include anyone, host, human, hybrid. Of course, Kirk says... It's got to be Evan Rachel Wood. She's the biggest badass femme assassin since Villanelle and Killing Eve. <laughs> and she's on the best revenge tour since the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Good to have you back, Kirk. Sherry Ava says, I'm fascinated about why Bernard is heading back to Westworld. Dolores has learned so much. I don't understand what Charlotte's objectives are, but she's a woman with a mission. Caleb lets us view this new world, and yet he's so damaged. Yeah, there you go. Pierre says she's like a Terminator, Rise of the Machines. At points, definitely, yeah. Sherry Ava's vote also goes to Dolores for episode one. As we followed her trail, it was clear to see there's a sinister new world order running in the background. And I'm not talking about the Uber Crimes for Hire app. This was an amazing episode one. It flew by so fast and there was so much to take in. I'm definitely rewatching the show to make sure I didn't miss anything. Daniel says, I'll be able to rejoin you all now. As soon as I catch up on season two... I'm forced to teach middle school virtually, so I will have the time. Can't wait. Well, yeah, that's the one plus side, I guess, to being stuck at home. You can rewatch all of Westworld, <laughs> listen to some podcasts. Our community's still here. Don't worry. Oren says, I'm voting for Maeve. What a kick-ass scene after the credits. Wow. 
Oh, and it looks like Nick missed that the first time around. He says, no, I, sh- <laughs> I knew I should have kept watching. We didn't want to put Maeve in there because she's going to have her moments. Oh, yeah. The Viking says, my vote is for Caleb. Aaron Paul is a fantastic addition to the franchise. I have a feeling his relationship with Dolores will impact or affect her view, opinion, relationship of with humanity. <laughs> well said. Nikki also liking the intro to Caleb, saying can't wait to find out who Hale is. Elliot Todd wonders, why would you need blood and tissue to assume a stolen identity? Does Dolores somehow carry Laura's DNA to mask herself as human? I'd assume in 2058, technologies would be able to tell the difference between fake and real DNA. Well, maybe they can't because Martin said he had to run a second test. So maybe if you just ran a simple blood test or whatever, it would give the markers of this person. Yeah, maybe there's layers of testing. And the deeper you go, the more expensive it is or something like that. Mm-hmm. No idea, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Elliot saying, Elliot Todd saying, wondering whether Dolores slipped up on purpose with that stolen identity. Negotiating that lease seemed unnecessary besides putting herself on the radar. And judging by how quickly the bodyguard host showed up, it wouldn't have been an impulsive decision by Dolores. I agree with you. Well, you said the whole point there was to get caught. So she allowed Martin to get the information. And set a trail. To figure, he- figure her out. And finally, Sean in St. Louis says, clearly Dolores' episode, but can't wait to watch Maeve kick some Nazi ass. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, I wonder how long she'll be in that world. If Bernard's coming to get her, I don't think it's going to be long. Maybe next episode we'll see a little of that, and then he'll come in. Maybe she, maybe that's where she acquires some more hosts on her side. Mm -hmm. Some more badass hosts. Could be. Oh, I wonder what hosts that we forgot about that from like season one and season two show up there and become more of a mainstay in the story. You know, be like, oh my God, I remember him. He was just in the bar scene all the time (laughs) that we saw. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now he's a bigger character. That'd be fun to watch. Jason, who's your MVB? I'm going to, I have to do it. My MVB for this episode is Dr. Ford. Get out of town. (laughs) It's Dolores for sure. This was her moment. I enjoy watching her on screen, kicking butt. Watch some season one scenes where she's in her loop. The difference between them. It's pretty amazing. Well, I'm going to have to go Caleb. Watching the previews, I was really nervous that I would feel the same way as some viewers. But it's Aaron Paul. He's going to take me right out of things. And yet I thought he fit seamlessly into this world. I was immediately connected to him, even after only a couple of scenes. Absolutely. I've been waiting for this look at humanity, a counterpoint to Dolores, and I think he's the perfect character to do so. Already having them meet by the end of the episode, he's the one I'm most excited to watch. I agree. Did you see that the way Dolores fell into his arms was the same way that Dolores fell into Teddy's arms? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So thank you so much, Clatchers, for voting and for writing into us. Remember, there's two other ways to contact us. If you don't have Twitter, you can email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Or if you want to have some real fun and get your voice actually heard on this cast, you can always call us at ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. Call in. Don't worry. Don't stress. If you cough or say a word wrong, just stop. Say the word again, and we'll edit out the wrong word. I say words wrong all the time on this cast. (laughs) We only got one email this week, but we haven't had any episodes out yet. So I assume we'll have some more rolling in next time. This one comes from Ken, who says he has a theory that Teddy 
is the one in the Charlotte Hale host body because Dolores needs someone she can trust on the inside of Delos. That would, of course, involve a swap of host bodies after the Dolores bodies recreated. Oh, so he thinks Dolores isn't Dolores? No, he thinks Teddy's inside of Charlotte Hale. Oh, okay. An <clears throat> alternate is that Teddy's inside of Dolores so that she can be inside of Hale during board meetings, that she can kind of go back and forth. Oh, I never thought of that. I wonder if you can just swap them out like SIM cards. That's an interesting <laughs> point. So we talked about why we don't think Teddy's back in anybody's body here. It's not impossible, but I do think anybody who went to the Sublime is in the safe zone. We're not going to see them again. But whoever's in Hale's body, could Dolores be swapping her own mind in and out when she needs to go to board meetings because she wants to be the one there? If she has that capability, it's certainly an interesting <clears throat> thought. Very interesting thought, which makes me think something else, which wouldn't be as fun, I think, narratively. So I'm 99% thinking this isn't true, but I want to put it out there. Do we have the ability to copy pearls? Could she have multiple of her pearls? See, that's what I was mentioning before. I don't think she has the technology to build a pearl, copy a pearl, make a pearl. No, you're right. I think it's just a body she can print. Once her peeps are back in Westworld, she will have the technology to do so. Perhaps. We really don't know what's going on inside of there. We don't know yet, but we will soon. It, it felt like that was your essence, your soul. I understand it's a mind and it's a cognition, but if something damages the pearl, that's the only time you're done. Right. So while they could move it around or make bodies, it does seem more delicate Difficult? Hmm. Impossible? I don't know. Well, we promised a closer look that we would come back around to talk more of Insight. If you have been following, we get these alerts, emails regarding Westworld. And now, of course, they have the website, insightinc.com, where we got some details. The letter said, as we may have heard, the U.S. Congress passed the Privacy Act of 2039. You will begin to see the impact of legislation roll out over the coming weeks. Delos Destinations has been providing themed fun for over a decade. As far as we're concerned, your core experience will stay the same. An opportunity to discover who you are in an environment without limits. All corporations with a digital footprint are required to be compliant with the new initiative, affecting the way your information is processed. As part of this new overhaul, legislators have partnered with Insight to provide a clearer path to radical data transparency, putting control back in the hands of consumers. And then it tells you for more information to go to the website. When you first pull it up, you get a loading screen. And this is really cool. It says, analyzing social profiles, scanning economic variances, evaluating sociability heuristics, and classifying personality subtypes. Based on all those things we saw in the attribute matrix last season, so extroversion versus introversion, aggression versus submission, narcissism versus altruism, obedience versus defiance, and then it says identification complete, and we were cataloged as category C, compliant behaviors, strong social engagement, high manipulation quotient. Mm. We are a puppet. Yes, we are. Then it gives you a little more about what this Privacy Act is. And their services. Tired of befriending strangers? Insight can find out who your real friends are. Oh boy. Networking not getting you anywhere? Insight can win you your dream job. Sick of search bar suggestions? We can find what you're truly searching for. Music not feeling made for you? Insight can play what's stuck in your head. <laughs> Driver making a wrong turn? Insight can take you where you really want to go. 
They say by the time you retire, you'll have switched careers seven times. By the time you find love, you'll have been in seven to eight relationships and had your heart broken twice. In the past 3,400 years, humanity has been at war 92% of the time. Wars killed over 108 million people in the 20th century alone. By the time we reach 2100, the global temperatures will be 10 degrees higher. Ice poles will melt. Rainforests will be deserts. Insight believes we can chart a path to a better future for you and for our world. Our values are your values. Let us find your path. No, thank you. So they believe, and apparently some of this has worked, they can stop these impending crises by controlling us dumb humans that create all of this conflict. We can decrease war. We can stop climate change. We'll make you fall in line by giving you this path that creates a better global social environment. But it leaves you having to fall into that loop. Oh, boy. So scary stuff. I think I could find myself actually being a part of that if they slowly did it to me. Because right now, Google knows so much about me. If it was presented to me years ago that Google can do this, but they'll know this, this, and this, I would have said no. But they did it so slowly that they just took a little bit every year, and before you know it, they have it all. And what if the this, this, and that was we can save the world? And I'm sure that left many people willing to go along with it. Plus, who made the decision? Was it governments that got together? Was it technology companies? There's still a lot we don't know about how that happened. There's a privacy act, so something big happened. Mm -hmm. Chris, I have two fun facts that we didn't go over from the episode. One, the woman that's talking to Liam outside when Dolores is spying on them. Did she look familiar to you? I don't think so. That's Palm Clementiev. Oh my goodness. Mantis. Mantis. Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers. Wow. And one last one, and I didn't see this, but apparently the GOT producers, Dan and Dave, were in the background as cameos. You told me this, and I did not see it. I have to go back. It's got to be during the party, I think. Yeah, there was a lot of people there. But I think it's so funny that they're cameos in Westworld. One, awesome. But two, the amount of cameos that Game of Thrones had, it's just funny. Now they're going to be the ones cameoing. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to watch it again really closely and just stare at the background. <laughs> So any final thoughts before we get to our spoiler section? No, I'm extremely happy to be back here. I hope we can keep up. We have a lot of podcasts coming out right now, and I hope our Clatchers enjoy them. Just a quick reminder, we, we are also releasing a Magicians episode tomorrow and a Patreon episode, a coffee break, the following day. So if you are bored and you're home and just got nothing to do, join us over at Patreon, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on Patreon, choose a tier. You'll know you're helping us out, and we're helping you out with some more fun content. The most recent movie, we did a throwback because we've been slowly making our way through the Harry Potter series, so we covered Order of the Phoenix. That means there's five of them on Patreon if you want to check them out. And we were going to do A Quiet Place 2, but again, because of the virus, there's no movies being played. So we haven't figured out yet what movie we will do this month. I'm so sad about that, but they are going to release at some point. And yes. when that point comes, we'll definitely we cover, cover it. Absolutely. But for now, it'll probably be another fun throwback. And we look forward to all the future Westworld episodes. For now, that's just going to leave us with our spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we cover episode 302. For those of you still here, we know next week, episode two is called The Winter Line. Now, we'll talk about this again next week, but The Winter Line in real history was a series of German and Italian military fortifications in Italy constructed during World War II. 
The series of three lines were designed to defend a western section of Italy, focused around a certain town that ran through an important highway. And this led interrupted all the way to Rome. So it was a real point of contention during the war. That leads me to believe we are going to see a lot of war world. And the synopsis says people put up a lot of walls. Bring a sledgehammer to your life. (laughs) Now, if you've watched the preview, there's a lot of information there, but a lot we don't know. It shows Charlotte Hale first waking up again, saying, who am I, where am I? And that looks like throughout the preview, a reoccurring theme of who's been put into her body. Right. She asks, why was she brought back? And Dolores says, we all have a purpose. And there is a part where you hear Maeve talking, and you're not sure if it's to her, but you assume saying, Teddy, is that you in there? Uh, So I guess that's why there's been a lot of speculation about Teddy coming back. So we might have been really wrong there. So I, I missed that. I didn't see it. Well, some bitch. Um, but also you see Maeve, Bernard, coming to get her. Maeve kicking ass. She's confronting Sarek. And Sarek knows everything that Dolores is doing. Yeah, and then when they're talking about the different pearls she has, you know, she had five of your kind. Now it looks like she's left with four because one's inside the hail body. Three of them look like the same color, but one looks red. And we did notice that when she took them out of the park in the bag last season. What we had wondered, is that somebody special? Is it a human-host hybrid? Could it be Ford? That was our big question during the season two bonus. Mm, We don't know. So all of that next week with 302. Thank you so much, Clatchers, for listening to our podcast. We know, especially this year, there's a billion Westworld podcasts out there. And we can't be the quickest. We're not lucky enough to be those who get screeners ahead of time. We watch them the same time you guys do. And we're crunched on time. But the fact that you did listen means you like what we're doing. You like our voices. So we thank you from the bottom of our pearls. (laughs) So till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me.